This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. You guys may recall that we have had uh, previous members of this organization on who have been really adept at helping us to understand how it is uh, we are supposed to uh, really think critically, not just about what's been happening with our local communities in terms of Asian American hate and what they have been experiencing, uh, but really in terms of how we as a collective community are going to be more effectively able to work collaboratively together across uh, communities that have a lot of similarities, a lot of things in common, uh, even as we are trying to figure out how to grapple with America as it is so we can hopefully get it to be the America that is a bit more in line with what we are hoping it will actually be. Uh, my guest for this morning is no stranger to any of this conversation. In fact, he is someone who has uh, spent a lot of time grappling with some of these issues from a diverse uh, perspective and as someone who serves as the president and CEO of this organization, uh, Brad Jenkins is certainly someone who was able to help us unpack this uh, effectively. Uh, Mr. Jenkins spent four years serving as President Obama's Associate Director in the White House Office of Public Engagement. And from there, he brought together creative executives, thought leaders, and some of the world's biggest stars to advance President Obama's agenda, culminating in the Emmy Award-winning Between Two Ferns interview, uh, which I'm sure many of you remember, uh, on the Affordable Care Act. He then joined Will Ferrell's Funny or Die as Managing Director and Executive Producer running their branded social impact content business known as Funny or Die DC. Since then, uh, he's produced over 70 social impact campaigns at 7-0, not 17-7-0, uh, documentaries, specials, and events with organizations, companies, PACs, uh, and foundations with a particular focus on the AAPI community. And he now serves as president and CEO of the AAPI Victory Fund. Brad Jenkins, it is such a pleasure to have you with us this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I mean, I just need that intro. That was like the greatest intro of all time. So I appreciate you didn't need to say all of that. I was like way, way too extra, but I appreciate it. I, I love, love the show. So appreciate what you do. Thank uh, you. And we're honored to be on. I got to be honest with you. I, I stopped. I could have kept it going. You know, I mean, there's a lot more that you have done, sir. You've been out in these streets uh, doing the work. So we had to edit that down. So I'm glad that we were able to get in uh, some of the more significant events. Uh, but you guys are doing some fantastic work at the AAPI Victory Fund. For those who perhaps missed the previous interviews we've had uh, with some of your colleagues, can you let our audience know what your organization does and why it is so very important, particularly in this I was going to say this version of America, this chapter of American history, this America as we currently find ourselves, however you want to label that, I'll leave it up to you. Uh, but give us some insight on the work that you guys are doing at AAPI. I mean, how do we describe this moment? It's, it's crazy. I, I mean, it's one of these things where 10, 20, maybe even five years from now, looking back at this moment, hopefully we feel good about what we've done because we are, the country's at a crossroads. Mm -hmm. Um, so I work at the Victory Fund, uh, present CEO. It's literally the first Asian American super PAC in history. So wow. it started about eight years ago by Norm Mineta, rest in power. Mm. Uh, Norm passed uh, just this past month. Um, oh, but, you know, our charge is how do we inspire, galvanize? How do we get more Asian Americans elected to office? We only have 1% of Asian Americans in elected office in this country. Wow. Uh, and there are 23 million Asian Americans. So as huh. you can tell, that gap is very large. 
Uh, and then the other big thing that we do is we have to galvanize our community to actually engage and vote. And of all communities until very, rec until very recently, our community has voted the least of all communities. Mm. Um, and so that's, there's a lot of reasons why. There are a lot of cultural challenges, language barriers. Uh, there's a lot of new, we're the fastest growing community in the country. So there's a lot of immigrants coming from Asia uh, to this country. So we do those, we do those things. We, again, we create a pipeline to get, you know, incredible candidates like Mayor Wu in Boston elected. Yes. Uh, Mayor Michelle Wu is incredible or Mayor Purval in Cincinnati, Ohio elected or our good friend Andy Kim uh, elected in New Jersey, the first Korean American Democrat elected in Congress history, which wow. is also crazy to say out loud. Wow. Um, so we do that work, wow. but to your point, when it comes to the importance of cross-racial solidarity, this is something that's probably more important to us now than ever. You because know we know that an attack on one community is an attack on all of us. And so we're doing some pretty game change stuff with, with communities of color, not just the Asian American community, but the African American community, the Latinx community this cycle, because we have to, we have no choice. We have to stand together in this moment. Mm, I, I appreciate that because I think, you know, one of the things I've seen a lot of increasingly in this time uh, has been a call for a fusion politics, a call that says, listen, uh, with our 12% over here, your 14, 20% over there, you know, if we, if we're doing this in isolation, whatever the, this is, it's probably not going to get done, particularly because of the way this country is set up. But if we are able to uh, just be that much more effective at collaborating and working together, we are going to be able to really see um, the, the needle move in some ways. And we saw that very, very clearly in electoral politics when we look at Georgia, for example. And a lot of times we focus on the fact that black voters turn out and black voters matter and the work that those groups were doing. Phenomenal work. But we spent a little bit less time, I think, talking about the fact that it was black voters working in collaboration with Latino voters, black voters working in collaboration with Asian voters, with indigenous voters. And that story of the fusion political approach to getting Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff elected, it's not necessarily the, the story that we hear the most, but it is certainly a story that I think is very instructive uh, for what this moment can produce. Now, it doesn't mean that any individual of those communities gets everything that they want. But I think it does mean that if we are disciplined and if we are committed to what the greater good for all of our communities can be, at least on the things we agree upon, uh, Brad Jenkins, we should be able to collaborate and work together and make some things happen. Uh, do you see that as an example of what could be if we are able to, to really bridge some of these gaps that have long divided us? Or is it, there something else that you're reaching for entirely? No, you hit it. I mean, that's my example too, right? I think Georgia... Um, one, you know, the Victory Fund invested a lot of work into Georgia in the Senate runoffs in particular. Um, you know, there's a very large Asian American population in Georgia, particularly in Gwinnett County, South mm. Asian community, right? So Indian Americans, huge population in the state of Georgia. And it's a community that, again, a lot of campaigns overlook. The Democratic Party overlooks. A lot of times they say, well, it's too hard. We don't know how to reach Asian Americans. But the reality is when it comes to communities of color, we're all in the same areas, Yeah. right? Like yep. we're talking about the Venn diagram of people of color trying to reach our communities and, and turn them out to vote. One of the big things we did in Georgia was we invested in voter file cleanup, mm -hmm. which is to say, if we're gonna try to reach our voters, we need to know who they are. 
We need to know what language they speak. We need to know if they voted recently. And we did this voter file cleanup and it was crazy. I mean, a very large percentage of people in the voter file who were coded as African-American were actually Asian-American, really? right? Which was crazy. I mean, just that just goes to show you how much work we have to do. The Democratic Party, y'all are on notice. We have to fix this. But if it wasn't for, again, intention, if it wasn't for actual investment, we would have been wasting time and effort on reaching the wrong community. Because wow. you know this, you gotta, you can't just put out one ad, right? You can't just put out one lit. You can't just send, you know, canvassers and assume that you're going to be able to galvanize a community to vote. You have to know the community that you're trying to reach. And so, again, I could not agree more with Georgia. And we know Senator Warnock's got a very tough election again. Stacey right. Abrams has a very tough election again, right? States like Georgia, states like Nevada, right? Where Asian Americans are 12% of the electorate. You always hear about Wait, the Latino what? vote Hold in on. Nevada. You never hear about the Asian American vote. 12%? Are you serious 12%. right now? Wow. So 12%. wait. And here's the thing. This is, yeah. No, go ahead, and go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> largely Filipino. No, I was going to say, l- largely Filipino community. Um, a lot of a lot of nurses, a lot of service workers, a lot of, you know, again, as we think about Vegas, Clark County in Nevada, um, the Filipino community and the black community living really right next to each other. That's right. Right. So if we are going to win in a state like Nevada, if we're going to win in a state like Georgia, we have to be doing this together. So we did this, uh, the API Victory Fund. I think maybe one of my colleagues talked about this. First time ever, our pack is actually linking arms with the Latino Victory Fund wow. and Collective Pack, which I'm sure you all know Collective Pack, which is the best, I would say one of the best political action committees in, in America. They elect incredible black candidates up and down yes. the ticket. Yes. And so we're like, look, only way we're going to win is if we're sharing resources, sharing data, knocking doors together, right? So that we don't, you're right, we can't be working in silos. We have to be working together to win these elections. And what I love about Collective PAC is that they're unabolished or unabolished, unapologetic in their (laughs) commitment to building black political power. So between uh, those three organizations, the AAPI uh, Victory Fund, the Latino Victory Fund, the Collective, uh, these are groups that really do sit at a beautiful intersection um, that would allow us to really achieve some collectively held political goals in a way that each of our communities can feel as though their voices have been heard. Uh, I'll give you another example in the city of New York we have what's called the unity map coalition for the redistricting process and uh, this is not our first time doing this work we have the AA uh, yes indeed uh, Asian American legal defense and education fund uh, Latino justice Pearl Def, and then the black community and communities of African descent are represented by my organization the Center for Law and Social Justice at Medgar Evers College and we literally uh, Brad we sit at the table and we look at the data and we talk about where the census says we're at we talk about what our intimate knowledge of what our communities of interest look like and we create redistricting maps that are not based on preserving democratic power not based on thinking about the republicans but based on ensuring that each of our communities have an equitable access to the distribution of political power throughout our city at every level of government 
I must be honest with you. It is extraordinarily difficult work, but it is such a better approach, in my very biased opinion, admittedly, but it is such a better approach because it means that uh, the Asian American community, they're going to get what they deserve in terms of their population and where their population centers are. The black community is going to get what they deserve in terms of their population and where their centers are, the same with the Latino community. And I will say that in the absence of a unity map approach, what typically happens is our communities are intentionally pit against each other, but from folks who have a lot to benefit. Yes. And, and so do you see other examples across the country where there is this sort of a, a recognizing that we have had difficulties in the past? And, and, and that's one of the things that a unity map coalition allows us to deal with, right? It's not a Pollyannish approach. We are not acting as though there have not been challenges. But have you seen other examples in spaces where being able to have an honest and open dialogue about what has hindered us from working together in the past has been able to sort of give way to a more unity approach to figuring out how we all get what we need, even if neither of us gets exactly what it is that we want. No, I I mean, it's happening, right? And I I will say the reality is it's always been happening, right? Mm. I mean, let's go back to Malcolm and Yuri, right? I mean, the the, the reality is, let's go back to, you know, W.B. Du Bois with the NAACP, the, the reality is we've always been in solidarity, right? Yes. The, the challenge to your point is that white supremacy wants to pit our communities against each other. Yep. It's a very successful yep. tactic. And we've seen it time and time again. Every decade we're seeing it. We're seeing it right now with Asian violence and Asian hate, mm. right? Where the vast majority of the violence that is taking place statistically is white on Asian violence but the vast majority of the media coverage or viral social videos are violence at the hands of black, right? Particularly young black uh, perpetrators against Asian American elders. Right. And so, you know, this is very personal for me because I am, I'm black and Asian. So I, I, you know, (laughs) I've seen it all, right? I've seen, I also don't want to sugarcoat. I also don't want to uh, paper over the, the very long challenges and struggles between the black and Asian community. I saw it very firsthand. You know, my mom's Korean immigrant. My dad's a, you know, grew up in the segregated Jim Crow South, right? Um, Seeing racism from every side. I've heard racism from my black brothers and sisters and my Asian brothers and sisters against each other. But the reality is, you know, at the end of the day, what we're fighting is a system of white supremacy and a system of poverty, right? Mm. Our communities are largely in the same areas because these are concentrated areas of poverty and concentrated areas of poverty, again, are desperate states where we don't have mental health care. We don't have real health care at all, right? We're struggling to get by. And the reality is for my community, you know, my parents growing up, I grew up in Trenton, New Jersey. They just told me, don't worry about voting. All Mm. these politicians are corrupt. Don't worry about it. Mm. Just, just just work on yourself. Just just do you. Don't worry about these these white people running running politics. And that's what they want. People in power want communities like the Asian American community to not vote. Because that means that they are going to continue to remain in power. Hmm. Right? 90% of incumbents in this country win. Because wow. 80 million people in the last election didn't vote. We talk about why we don't win elections. It's because 80 million people who had the ability to vote stayed at home. And a lot of those people are are my people, Asian Americans. So, you know, African Americans, I'll, I'll, you know, again, on my African American side, 
if not for African-Americans, if not for African-American women in particular, our country would, you know, it's in dire straits already. Yeah. But African-American women have saved us time and time again with every single election, right? And it is time for our community to step up. It is time for Asian-American women, Asian-American men to step up. And so, again, we, we have a lot of work to do. There's a reason why we only are 1% uh, of elected officials is because, again, we have to invest, we have to educate, and we have to model. You know, you bring up the incredible work that you're doing in New York. Asian Americans have a long way to go, right? Like, we have to find our voice. We have to find our power. We've been doing it since the 1920s. I know some people are like, wait a second, Brad. Asian Americans have been fighting, you know, the Japanese American Citizens League was created in 1929. Wow. So I'm not saying that we're new to this, but what I am saying, if you look at the amount of money that we invest in political power compared to other communities, hmm. it's peanuts, Wow. right? And so we have to step up. We have to step up because we have to, you know this, this election, it's not just abortion rights. It's not just gun violence. It's not just healthcare. It is democracy itself. Indeed. It is democracy itself. These guys, they they are they are open about what they want to do, right? They are open about what they want to do to our country. And so our community has to step up. And you know, it's it's I'm glad you went straight to some of the hearts of these issues or the heart of some of these issues. Cause I, I was gonna say with a name like Brad Jenkins as the president of the AAPI fund, I suspected <laughs> there was some blackness in your background somewhere, Brad. We was gonna get to it. I'm just glad you just put it out there to make it easier. Well, let's, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about this a little bit because within our communities, uh, there has been a lot of strife as our two communities, which are quite frankly, in many ways dependent on each other, um, in other ways less so. But we've seen, you know, there was a, a period where a lot of the emphasis was on uh, anti-Asian hate crimes. And you would have thought that the primary uh, perpetuators of these hate crimes were young black kids. And then we look at the research and we realize, oh, wait, no, the overwhelming majority of anti-Asian hate crimes are perpetuated by white people against Asian people. But the media tended to hyper-focus on some incidents that did involve uh, black and brown communities, uh, black and brown community crossover. And then I know folks who right now who are listening to this conversation right now are saying, well, wait a minute, Lorraine. What about uh, the black girls who got beat up at the Asian hair salon? What about the black, you know, person, uh, you know, going back to the Rodney That's King right. era when the young uh, sister was was about to pay and then she ends up being shot by a Korean grocer. Uh, so we have not only as a reality where historically uh, Asian uh, vendors have been able to come into black communities and, and establish thriving businesses. Black folk are able to patronize these businesses. But there's also been some inherent anti-blackness within those experiences. How can you, as someone particularly and, and you are literally talk about sitting at an intersection literally sitting at the intersection of these <laughs> communities what is it that we should be thinking about when we're trying to collaborate politically on issues that benefit all of us but we still have these issues of anti-black bias we have issues of frustration from the black community towards asian communities at what feels like has been a history of exploitation how do we grapple with that element at the same time that we're trying to fight for reproductive justice gun violence health care and all the other things that matter to all of us regardless of which boundary we happen to live within? Well, look, not only do I sit at the intersection, I mean, I lived it, right? So mm. my father, just a quick, quick uh, story. My father was in the arm. The only way he got out of the ghetto was he served his country, mm. right? So my dad, ROTC, got to go to college, served, served in the army, went to Vietnam, then went to Korea and met my mom. They fell in love and came back. 
my dad sponsored my mom's uh, brothers and her sister to come to this country. Mm. What did they do? They set up a dry cleaners in Atlantic City and they set up, it's, it's taken many iterations, but it was a record store at first, then it turned into a cell phone store, right? We know all these kinds of mom and pop stores that you yep. see in a 90% black neighborhood in Atlantic City, right? Mm. So when we talk about Korean American store owners in black communities, I used to be at that record store with my uncle. Wow. Right? My uncle, Chugga Sumshun, right? I'd be with Chugga Sumshun. We had a hip hop record store in Atlantic City where 90% of the clientele were, were African American. Mm. So I, I get it. I, I've lived it. I've seen it. The reality is it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. And I do think that we have to walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm. And you know, again, I think that what you saw, what I was so very moved by was two things. One, during Black Lives Matter, Asian American communities and organizations stood up for the first time, I think, in a very long time. Mm. Groups like the Asian Americans Advancing Justice, groups like the Victory Fund, groups like APIA Vote stood up in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And then you saw that, I think, doubled and tripled from the black community for the Asian American community. Mm. We're in solidarity, the NAACP, Color of Change, all of these black civil rights groups standing in solidarity with the Asian American community. Those are like, in my opinion, those are baby steps. We've got to do the real hard work. It's not just at the political level. You know how you know how the political level, it's like all these like very fancy people in fancy rooms, right? Oh, we're working together. It's like, well, are we? <laughs> I mean, like, kinda, yeah. You're an okay. executive director working with this person, right? The real work is on the ground level. And in fact, that's some of the work that we're doing right now. My good friend, Jeannie Mai, I'm not sure if you guys know Jeannie Mai Jenkins mm. uh, and Jeezy. Uh, we just did a huge event at the Kennedy Center. Jeannie yes. and I hosted this event with the Vice President of the United States. She was our, our keynote. Um, we had just this incredible group of Asian Americans. Karushi Tran was also there. She spoke. But the idea is we have to start building not just political power and solidarity, but cultural power and mm. solidarity. And so Jeannie and I are actually planning a black and Asian, I'm breaking news here with you, but a black and Asian music, music fest, black and Asian music and food festival. Wow. Right? Okay, because wait, we're, we're, we got to hold on, hold on, no, time out because you're going to get cut off. You're going to get cut off by the man because the man <laughs> still owns these airways and I need Brad Jenkins for us to hear about what oh, this work is okay. going to look like. So we're going to go into a commercial break. Uh, on the other side of it, you are going to help us break down this event that took place at the Kennedy Center and the work uh, that you guys are going to be doing for this fusion approach because we're going to get this right. Our elders, you know, they, they had some good intentions, but we're going to make it happen uh, right now because we got we got a lot we got to figure out. And quite frankly, the world literally needs us to get this right. Uh, you're listening to Larie Daniel Favors on Sirius XM's Urban View. I'm in conversation with Brad Jenkins, president and CEO of the AAPI Victory Fund. And he was just going to let us know about this amazing event uh, that took place at the Kennedy Center uh, and uh, the work that he and others are doing right now to ensure we are continuing the effort of collaboration uh, in a way that is going to not just ensure our political needs get met, but that there is some cross-community healing as well. Uh, Brad Jenkins, thank you for, for giving us some more of your time this morning and for sticking with us uh can you first let us know give us a report back on how this event uh went you you were just mentioning it just before we went into the break and then i want to hear all about the fusion efforts uh that you all are actively engaged in to help ensure our communities are coming together on some real talk uh and in a real and and powerful way 
Well, thank you. And it's a it's actually a perfect segue because this event we did, I, I mean, we were talking before the break about my own, you know, my own identity being black and Asian. You know, we've got the first black and Asian vice president in history, the right. first female vice president in history. And to be able to do this event with with Senator Harris, with Vice President Harris, I call her Senator because she's still my Senator at heart. Um, <laughs> it, it was so special. It was so special for all of us. And to center our community, I mean, there's never, you know, not to be whatever, but I'm just going to say it. Our community is never centered in this way, mm. Lori. Right? We've never, we've never had the White House press pool, right? We've never had, you know, PBS covering it live and MSNBC yeah. covering it live, but we had the Vice President of the United States at the Kennedy Center speaking in front of 500 Asian Americans from all over the country. We're talking mm. mayors, we're talking city council members, we're talking state senators, but then we're also talking about, you know, writers and journalists, right? And uh, and we had incredible filmmakers and we had incredible, you know, people who've been leading our community on the ground, activists and change makers. Wow. And it was just a night of, you know, we're, we're actually gonna post some video content uh, of the evening today. So y'all should go check it out on uh, my socials uh, at Brad Jenkins and also at Victory Fund. But it was a night of healing, right? Our community has had such mm. trauma that we've gone through over the course of the past two years where the former commander in chief was literally scapegoating, scapegoating our community every day, right. right? He was calling it Kung flu. He was calling it China virus. He's calling all these things. And it's not a surprise that our community has felt the effects of that. We knew that that right. was going to happen. Right. But the only way that we repair, the only way that we come back is this, is we do it in solidarity with our community. So to bring Vice President Harris, to have incredible people like Jeannie Mai and Jeezy and Karushi, and we had Jose Antonio Vargas speaking for Dreamers. We had mm. Min Jin Lee speaking for women right in this fight for 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 rights to their own body um and then we also had mayor wu speaking of mayor wu and mayor purval these two dynamic mayors in non-asian cities by the way there are not many asians in boston right there are not many asians <laughs> in cincinnati ohio but they are leading and so taking that energy we genie and i genie my uh shout out to genie uh was my co-host for the evening and what we really felt, there was a, we had a, a high, right? We had a buzz from that event. Mm. And we felt like, look, we do not new, we do not do enough of this. Wow. Right. We do not yeah. bring our communities to celebrate enough. And so we're just in the very early stages. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I will let your listeners know that, you know, we don't want this to be the type of thing where the only time that we're collaborating, the only time that we're breaking bread, the only time that we're getting down and partying is when we're trying to vote, mm. right? Like that should not, we got to do all the in-between work, right? you know, we got to find these opportunities to come together as communities. And so we're going to launch the first, you know, the, the first essentially black and Asian block party, but we're going to be doing it in wow. communities all around the country. I love right. It. And the, the fun thing for me is here's the thing. Some of my favorite people are, are Blasian, right? Like Anderson. Pop, Wait, you got to explain what you mean by Blasian, because not everybody might know, Brad. <laughs> I'm just saying, everybody might not know. Asian. Some of my favorite humans are Blasian. No, we, you know, that's the other thing is like we're a melting pot, right? And mm. this idea that 
you can separate, you know, the black experience from the Asian American experience. We're all Americans at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think our community, I will just put my community on blast. I think our community has a long way to go to stand in solidarity with the black community. We do. Mm. And a part of my job at the Victory Fund is ensuring that we are doing that. We, we are showing up for the black community. And so, and investing, by the way, investing uh, in the black community. So we're, we've got some fun stuff planned. I don't wanna, I don't wanna spill the beans too, too early, but if anyone is interested, please follow me, please follow Jeannie, please follow the API Victory Fund. And uh, we've got some very fun things uh, cooking up for y'all. Now, Brad, I can already hear at least one person and the many millions of folks who are listening who are saying, now, wait a minute, Brad, your last name Jenkins. We already know you blazing yourself. How do you position when you say our community and, and mean Asian and not black? Can you unpack that for a little bit? Because I'm sure there are folks who are curious about how you identify which community is yours as someone who sits at the seat of both. I mean, I feel like it's both. I mean, like I said, I have the worst Asian name of all time and I have the most confusing <laughs> black name of all time because I don't know how many times I've showed up. People do not get what they expect when they meet me in person. I'll just put it that way. Um, no, you know, I grew up in a town that was largely Italian-American. I grew up in an Italian part of Trenton, New Jersey. Wow. And it was like 80% Italian, right? And so... You know, I've always been an other. I've, I've never really, to be totally candid, never really been, you know, accepted or welcomed in either community, mm. right? Um, and so I was just, I was just the weird, I was just the weird Blasian kid. This <laughs> is the weird, the weird kid do, doing his thing. I claim both communities, to be totally mm. honest, to be totally candid with you. Um, you know, my father growing up, my dad, as I mentioned, grew up in the segregated Jim Crow in Oklahoma City you know, from a very early age, he kept telling me, you're black, you are black. Mm. He's like, you don't look black, but after everything I've gone through in my life and your grandfather <laughs> went through in you his black life, boy. you black, <laughs> you're right. you don't look it, but you black. So, you know, understanding that, right. And always understanding what my father fought through and always understanding what mm. he went through. In reality, I had a even bigger responsibility, I guess is the best way to put it, an yeah. obligation. Yeah. Especially when I worked at the Obama White House and I saw how little, you know, the Asian American community was allowed at the at the table to be candid. Right. Wow. Like what we did with Vice President Harris, President Obama never did that. We never did rallies with the Asian mm. American community. Right. And by the way, it's not the president's fault. Right. I put that blame on the Asian American community. They didn't build it like. What we mm -hmm. built for, for, for Vice President Harris, that didn't come out of nowhere. We had to raise the money. We had to, we had to build the program. We had to build the stakeholders. We had to create that event. We had to create that political power. It doesn't come out of thin air. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, just speaking personally, there's, there's such a long way to go. I felt it very viscerally that, you know, again, speaking about all of the things that our, our African-American community is going through each and every day, right? As much as we talk about the the violence of the Asian American community, you know the violence the violence to black bodies every single day, black men in particular, but also black mm. women, you know they don't get headlines. Yeah, you know there's yeah. what how many how many people that were murdered in Chicago this past weekend? That was you know people don't bring up you know violence on black bodies, 
right? Oh, or they only and bring so, it up to exemplify that that's sort of just what those black people do. And they forget Tennessee. Oh, they forget all the other shooters. They they'll they'll name them. Chicago and skip the 27 other more dangerous right. cities to get to Chicago, right. which is like number 28 right now. So yeah, that, that's the only time that we show up in those spaces. That's right. And so, you know, that was my, that was my big thing, you know, realizing that, and I'm reaching that age, right? Larry, like I, I'm 40. So reach you, you, you reach an age where you start looking around and you start looking up and to, you're like, well, how come no one's doing the thing? How come no one is, Yeah. <laughs> how come no one's creating this move? How come no one's investing? And it reached a point where I started realizing I have to do it. Like, mm-hmm. I can't wait. I'm, I, I can't wait for, certainly can't wait for a white person to do it. Can't, certainly can't wait for someone else to say, you know what we should do for Asian Americans? We should build their political power. Um, so it Ooh, you said Asian Americans, but you speaking very blackly right now, Brad Jenkins. <laughs> this is a message. There is a lot we can take from this conversation, Brad Jenkins. Uh, I'm talking about my black side uh, and your Asian black side. I mean, I'm just saying you you saying something, but you saying a lot. And I think we have to all remember. And when you mentioned President Barack Obama, I was reminded of this. There were a number of folks within our my community, the black community that said we are not our community. Uh, my community would said we're not going to make those types of demands we are going to because you know we were very concerned about you know what might yeah. happen and the pressure and i get it but when you don't build the when you don't make the demands when you don't build the infrastructure when you don't build the political activism you want to see you're literally going to just be waiting for the next trump uh to show up because somebody is building that community they are actively building that political power uh brad it has been such a pleasure having you here thank you for helping us to unpack not just the work of the aapi victory fund but how you are intersecting with black communities communities in, in a political space, but also how we're thinking about these intersections from a cultural space as well. Because as I think we, we've unpacked a bit, uh, there is a healing that's necessary. And it's not even just for the altruistic goodness of having our communities come together. It's literally for survival. Like I, you yes. know, it's literally for our survival right now. Uh, we, we have to head into our last commercial break for this hour. But how can people follow you and connect with you? Uh, Brad Jenkins, who got the most unfortunate name uh, <laughs> in terms of. Asian, I said worst Asian name of all time. There it it's is. True. There it is. But I knew it Jenkins is, uh, meant something. I did. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> follow me. Y'all, please follow me at Brad Jenkins um, and at API Victory Fund. Um, again, it's such an honor to be on this I love this show Thank um, you. and I love yeah. what you do. And the fact, here's the other thing I'll say, thank you for having the victory fund even on, mm. right? Because I think it's, it's, it's a challenge for, for our voices to even be in the conversation. Wow. And again, we need to do a better job of being louder. So thank you for, for, for giving us this space. And uh, again, thank you all. Thank you to your listeners. I know we got a big, big election coming up. So That's thank right. you for everything y'all y'all are doing. That's right. And we'll have to get y'all back on before said big, big election because we got big, big work to do. Uh, Brad Jenkins, president and CEO of the AAPI Victory Fund. It has been a real pleasure having you here. Don't be a stranger. Thank you for this. 